Hey, good morning, SCF. Uh, good to gather with you again. And uh, here we are, one more Sunday in these unusual circumstances. I want to start out today by giving you something that is a personal theory of mine. It's um, actually been my entire life developing this theory. More importantly, it's supported by Scripture, and one of these days I intend to do a series on this very thing. But here it is. Here's the theory. Here's the hypothesis. I don't believe that there's anything of lasting value that we can learn in life that can be learned either easily or quickly. Let me re repeat that a little bit. What I'm talking about are life-altering lessons. Life-altering lessons, my theory is, cannot be learned easily. They cannot be learned quickly. And in fact, let me go further, they require full emotional engagement. They can't be learned with cool intellect. They can't be learned objectively. I mean, you can learn two and two is four, and that's valuable. You can learn putting your hand on a hot burner always hurts. That's important, but that's not life-altering. I'm talking about life-altering, character-forming lessons. They always require full emotional engagement. More importantly, they are only learned experientially. Let me go one step further. These life-altering lessons actually at times require a very specific context or set of circumstances. And it's only in the specific context or circumstances that the right things are stirred in us, the right set of awareness is brought to us that these truths, these lessons can get to the very core of our being and leave us completely changed people for the rest of our days. And here's why this is so important. You, me, everybody in Frederick County, everybody in the United States, everybody literally in the world, we are simultaneously in the exact same circumstance. This is unique, certainly in our lifetime. It's kind of unique in the whole history of the world. There have been some times, but for our lifetime, for sure, we all find ourselves in the exact same unique circumstance, which is affording us an unusual, a very unusual uh, opportunity to learn some life-altering lessons. We are in this circumstance that I talked about last week, and we know the word. We hear it all the time now. It's called sheltering in place. Now, sheltering in place, uh, it's a very interesting thing. You know, we all enjoy solitude of our own choosing. We don't like solitude too much when it's being enforced on us, but yet this is how we find ourselves. Now, last week, we looked into the life of David, and one of the things that we discovered is that in God's Word, there are many examples of God's people sheltering in place. In fact, in the future, God specifically tells His people in Isaiah 26, that as things are coming to um, the, the final conclusion just prior to the return of Christ and society is in a upheaval, He tells His people to hide away for a while, to shelter in place. So we're going to go from David last week, who was sheltering in place in the cave of Adullam in the year 1005 B.C. We're going to go forward about 142 years to 863 B.C., and we're going to meet a guy named Elijah, a great prophet of God. little background. Elijah comes on the scene when the northern kingdom of Israel, usually called Samaria, is ruled now by what Scripture calls the most wicked king there ever has been. His name is Ahab. He reigns for 22 years. His wife is the notorious Jezebel. Never heard of anybody <clears throat> being named Jezebel or Judas. Those are not real popular names. Anyway, 
It's a really, really dark time for the Israelites. They are, as a group in mass, turning to the false god Baal. Baal is supposed to be the commander and controller of the weather, and they are worshiping him instead of the true God, the true creator, the God that has revealed himself to Israel. So that kind of gives you the context. But remember our theme, it's life-altering lessons that can't be learned. They can't be learned in hours or even days usually. Think in terms of months and often years. They demand full emotional engagement and they often require unique circumstances for these lessons to be learned. Okay, let me turn you to a book in the Bible. It's called First Kings, and I'm going to be reading in chapter 17. And so let me just start reading. First Kings chapter 17. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, that's King Ahab, as certain as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be no dew or rain in the years ahead unless I give the command. The Lord told him, leave here and travel eastward. Listen to this. This is our key word. Hide out in the Kareth Valley near Jordan. Let me pause for a minute. So it starts out, Elijah, the prophet of God, he confronts the king of Israel and he tells him that there will be no rain, complete drought, until he gives the command for rain. Now, the book of James in the New Testament tells us that it's literally a three-and-a-half-year period. So for three-and-a-half years, this drought ensues. But I want you to notice the complete confidence that Elijah has to identify with the God of Israel. Complete allegiance. Folks, I want to tell you, we don't, we don't know about Elijah's background. We don't know how he came. This is the first we meet him. But you don't take a bold stand like that that could have cost him his life. You don't declare your allegiance publicly and when it could be at a great cost unless you have forged an intimate trust relationship with your God in private. So we don't know his background, but you know and I know you won't be bold in public about your union, your devotion, your faith with Christ unless you have forged a private behind-the-scenes intimacy with Christ that makes your boldness unshakable in public. So he declares his allegiance and he declares there will be no rain. Now, this was a direct blow, a poke in the eye at the God that the Israelites were worshiping, Baal. I told you, he was the weather God. And so here's the real God saying, there won't be any rain to show that Baal was a, a fake God. Now, pick up again, let me read verse, verse 2. The Lord, and this is the Lord speaking to uh, Elijah, the Lord told him, leave here and travel eastward, hide out in the Kareth Valley near the Jordan. So God tells this prophet of God, the God that was controlling the weather, who had all power clearly, but he's telling his prophet, run, hide, shelter in place for a while. He didn't tell Elijah how long, but he did tell him where to go. He says, go to the Kareth Valley. It's probably about 30 miles away. And he says, you, you need to hide out for a while. You need to shelter in place. Didn't tell him how long. He just told him to do it. Let's pick up the story once again. It says in verse 3, Leave here, travel eastward, hide out in the Kareth Valley near Jordan. Drink from the stream. I have already told, get this, I have already told the ravens to bring you food there. So he did 
Notice his obedience. So he did as the Lord told him. He went and he lived in the Kareth Valley near the Jordan. There's a couple observations I want you to think about. Elijah could have concluded, he could have said, you know, if my God is the God that controls the weather, uh, why should I have to run and hide? Why should I have to do anything but stand right here? Certainly he can protect me right in front of this king and all the king's armies. That's not the way that God's processes tend to work. It, it only applied to our present circumstance. It's not an unusual thing for me to hear sometimes uh, believers, people that are real followers of Christ, say things like, you know, I just don't feel like I need to make many preparations for difficult times in life. I feel like, you know, God will take care of me. I don't have to worry. I, I've heard some Christ followers, frankly, be pretty foolhardily, uh, foolhardy about some chances they take, some risks they take, some behaviors, some lifestyle things, because their notion is, well, you know, God can protect me. Well, he can protect us. But if you step off a thousand foot high cliff, God's not going to protect you. He doesn't violate his own processes. Now, now you got you to hear me on this one. You, you see, one of the life-altering lessons that God wants us to learn while we are sheltering in place is something called prudence or wisdom, responsibility. I am responsible, you are responsible, we are responsible to take care of ourselves to the degree that we can. He told Elijah, run and hide. And so Elijah's responsibility was to embrace God's process. God's process, you got to hear this now, God's process for providing for Elijah and protecting Elijah was that Elijah be willing to run and hide and shelter in place. We need to learn this presumption. God never, never blesses presumption. When we just presume that God's going to do for us things that he has not promised to do for us, we put ourselves in an unnecessarily vulnerable situation. I'm saying all that to say this. You've heard me say this recently in messages. I'm telling you folks, God is trying to teach us in mass. He's trying to teach certainly all of his people and the rest of the world. We better be preparing. Life can change overnight. It can change on a global scale overnight. We who know Christ, we who know the prophecies of God, know that the return of Christ is near. And this is God giving us a time out so that we can kind of get a sense of how well or how unwell we are prepared should life suddenly change dramatically again. So we need to use prudence. That's one of the lessons, life-altering lessons, that these shelter-in-place kind of experiences can bring. The other thing we see when, when God tells Elijah to go, he goes. He goes where he tells him to go, and he does what he tells him to say, obedience. These shelter-in-place experiences give us a time that we can ramp up our obedience to God's Word. Truth be told, a lot of us, we know more of God's word than we obey. And God wants us to learn in these shelter-in-place times how to become specifically and very uh, particularly obedient in areas of our life where maybe we have not been. Listen, if Elijah had not have gone, he would not have been protected. He would not have been provided for. Now, the story then gets kind of odd. He says, I've already told the ravens, I've already told the ravens to, to take care of you during this time. So he's got a brook that he's going to drink water from. Let me read again. Verse 5. It says, So he did as the Lord told him. He went and he lived in the Kareth Valley near Jordan. Verse 6. The ravens would bring him bread and meat each morning and evening. 
and he would drink from the stream. So because he went to the place where God told him to go and because he prepared himself and he was prudent and obedient, he is supplied. Now, this is a very odd set of circumstances. I, I, wonder, I wonder what Elijah thought that very first morning. He's waiting there at the brook of, of Kareth, and all of a sudden he sees these, these giant, hulking individuals in purple uniforms and huge helmets coming, delivering him cuisine, choice cuisine. The ravens, the ravens of Baltimore, of course. Um, we're supposed to even have a slide for you on this. I don't know if Joe can magically do that or not. But ultimately, we know he's talking about real ravens. Now, now bear with me, bear with me. A little, little trivia on ravens. Ravens look an awful lot like crows, but they're not anything like crows. Crows, first of all, are much smaller, and they're not nearly as intelligent. Ravens are large. They're the size of hawks, and they are one of the most intelligent birds. They're intelligence, matter of fact, intelligent animals. They rate very high. It's right up there with the chimpanzee. Ravens can be taught to speak or to mimic human, human language uh, to the degree that a parrot can. Some say they're even better than a parrot. They're very playful. They're very mischievous. They appear to, to plan and think and make games up with, with one another. So anyway, these ravens are commanded to bring meat and bread to Elijah both morning and evening. So he's eating two meals a day. That's kind of an interesting thought. But... Um, Here's the thing. How many of you know, this is not going to be like going to your favorite restaurant. Uh, you know, that you don't look on the menu at your favorite restaurant and find raven's meat brought to your table or raven's bread brought. I mean, I want you to think in terms of this. One of the lessons God wants us to learn in sheltering in place is to be dependent upon him and to be humbly dependent upon him, to take that thing that we Americans hate, if necessary, to take that step or two back, to alter our lifestyle down if necessary. Listen, I don't know what kind of meat these ravens brought to him, but I doubt that they were cooking it up before they brought it. And I don't know what kind of bread they brought him, but it probably wasn't in the greatest of condition. But when you are hungry, God's provision is sufficient, but it may not be what we want. So here again, God wants us to learn to depend on him and then to be content with what he provides, even though it may not be what we want. Let, let's pause for a minute. I'm sure many of us are in, enduring some circumstances right now that are not normative for us. They're not what we want. They're not what we choose. But yet if we look, we might find that God is providing sufficiently if we can learn to be content and appreciative with what we have. So we don't know how long Elijah is living under these conditions, but it appears to go on for a time. Now, suddenly, things start to change rather dramatically. Let me pick up reading in verse 7. It says, After a while, indefinite period of time, the stream dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The Lord told him, Get up, go to Zarephath. This was about 85-mile journey. Go to Zarephath in Sidonian territory, and live there. I have already told a widow who lives there to provide for you. So he got up, and he went to Zarephath. When he went through the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. He called out to her, Please give me a cup of water so I can take a drink. And I'll pause there. So 
Here's another lesson that Elijah learned and God wants us to learn as we shelter in place. It, it is not a pleasant lesson at all. It is the lesson of perplexity. He's watching every day as this brook dries up. He's watching his streams of survival dry up. He's watching his stream of income, we might call it, dry up. And he's got to be wondering, does God know what's happening here? Does he see what kind of condition I'm in? He's watching it go from a flow to a trickle, and finally it stops completely. Some of us, during this shelter-in-place, we have watched some of our streams of income dry up. We have watched some of our relationships perhaps dry up. We, we've watched a lot of things that we counted on for enjoyment and flexibility and recreation and distraction. We've watched the, these streams that we counted on dry up. And God wants us to learn in these shelter-in-place experiences that, that sometimes one of the most important things we can experience is to live with some perplexity and yet persevere in our trust in God. Just at the right time, notice, notice this, because this, this is very uncomfortable, but I've watched through my life God do this. Right at the last second, not way before, I like to have things beforehand. I don't, I don't want that brook drying up. I want God to tell me to go to Zarephath before that thing dries up, but that's not the way God works. When we were trying to make a deal to purchase our church. We, we were in dire straits financially. It, it was horrific. We had to go through 11 lending companies. And literally, it got down to the wire. We kept getting turned down, turned down, turned down. We had two weeks. The owner of the land up there said, Randy, I, I've got to turn this over to Church and Redeemer. They've got the money. They're ready to do the deal. You got two weeks. And I said, two weeks? He said, two weeks. And so I went again, and I tried to find yet another lender. That very Thursday, I come across this guy in North Carolina. That weekend, he is up. We are sitting with the owners of the property, and we're working at a deal. And that company, at the very last second, we were running out of time. God came through, and he supplied. And I've just seen this happen again and again. It is very uncomfortable, but God wants me and you to learn the lesson of living in perplexity so that we will persevere in our trust and ultimately become people that are resilient and unshakable. So the brook is drying up, but then he tells him, he says, okay, now it's time to, to move, to go somewhere else. Once again, we have to be prudent. God's going to provide, God's going to protect, but you and I must be adaptable we must be flexible in our trust in God. We must go where he wants us to go. We must do what he wants us to do. We must change what he wants us to change. We have to stay flexible. We have to be creative. We have to use ingenuity, innovation. But more importantly, we need to be obedient to God as he speaks clearly through his word. So Elijah goes to Zarephath. But, but you know, if I would have been Elijah, I would have been asking questions because God tells him, he says, listen, Elijah, I've already assigned a widow, of all people, a widow in Zarephath uh, to provide for you. And I would have been asking, Lord, uh, okay, Zarephath has a lot of people. Can you maybe give me her address? Give me her telephone number. Tell me what she looks like. What's her name? If I'm going to start knocking on doors in Zarephath, I need to know her name. God does not tell him that. Let me go further. When you read this story, even though God says, I've already, in fact, I'm going to read it to you again because it's a really interesting thing. He, the Lord says in verse 10, he says, so get up 
So he got up, meaning Elijah, and he went to Zarephath. When he went through the gate there, there was a widow gathering, and he called her, Please give me a cup of water that I can take a drink. Now it said earlier, it said that uh, in verse 9, that he had already told a widow, God had already told a widow who lives there to provide for you, meaning Elijah. When Elijah meets this widow, you're going to see the rest of the conversation in a minute, she has no idea who Elijah is. She has no notion that God has spoken to her and told her to provide for Elijah. Yet God says he's already, he's already told her, he's already assigned her. So notice the way God works. He doesn't tell Elijah who this woman is, where she lives, what her name is, where to find her. He says, you just go, you'll find her. And he says, don't worry, because I've already assigned it to her to take care of you, and yet she doesn't know anything about this. What does this mean? This is something beautiful, folks. God knew this Gentile woman. She was not a Jew. She was a Gentile. She lived in Sidonia territory. He knew that residing in her was a, a dormant trust in the God of Israel that was just waiting to be catalyzed by the right circumstance, just waiting to be awakened. This shelter-in-place experience that God has us in, for some of us, this is God's unique opportunity to catalyze, to deepen our trust in Him like never before, to learn to live entirely for Christ and by Christ and through Christ. And for some others, it's the time when for the first time in their life, their trust in Christ is going to be awakened, just like in the case of this woman. Let me go on. So Elijah meets this woman at the gate. The first woman he meets, he meets this widow, and she's gathering sticks, and he asks her for a drink of water. Let me go on. Verse 11. As she went to get it, so she's going to get him a drink of water, he called out to her, hey, please bring me a piece of bread. And so he wants bread and water. You know, he hasn't had the raven supply for who knows how long. He had to travel 85 miles to get here. She said, now this is the widow that God had told supposedly to supply for him. She said, as certainly as the Lord your God lives. Now, this is interesting because this Gentile woman, she knew about the real God, the real, the real God of Israel, the true God, the true creator. She says, as certainly as the Lord your God lives, I have no food except for a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Right now... I'm gathering a couple sticks for fire, then I'm going to then I'm going home to make one final meal for my son and myself. After we have eaten that, we will die of starvation. Let's pause. So what's going through Elijah's mind now? God told him to go to Zarephath, find the widow. He finds the widow, and the widow is saying, you know, sir, uh, I'm gathering the last little bit a meal that I'm gathering sticks for the last meal for my son and I, we're going to starve to death. I have nothing. How can I get you a cake when I, I'm gathering the last meal? Here again, God puts this tremendous test. Now, now listen, listen carefully. He's testing the woman's trust. He's testing Elijah's trust. Let me rephrase that. Is he testing Elijah's trust? And is he testing the woman's trust? Is he testing your trust and my trust now in this time out, this sheltering in place? Or is he catalyzing, stirring, creating circumstances that will arouse our trust to an entirely new level that 
we never had to have before because the circumstances never demanded it. And, and of course, I'm giving the answer away. It's not a test as much as it is an arousal. It's creating a circumstance where what is can now be burst into flame. The little spark can burst into flame. So let me go on. Pick it back up in verse 13. Now listen to Elijah, Elijah's comforting words. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you planned. But first make a small cake for me and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be empty and the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord makes it rain on the surface of the ground. She went and she did as Elijah told her. And there was always enough, keep that in mind, enough. There was always enough food for Elijah and for her and her family. The jar of flour was never empty and the jug of oil never ran out just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Tell you a little funny story, background. Way back in my first church, uh, there was a small group, uh, Middletown Baptist Church, and Bruce Bryan, if he happens to hear this message, and Kim, I don't remember if you and Janet were in this small group or not. But anyway, we had a small group in a house for a lady, I believe her name was Julie, and she lived right on the same street that Bruce Bryan, who was still one of our elders in this church, lived on. And so we were in her house, and we were reading this portion of scripture, and she had a young son, I don't know, I guess he's about 12 or 13 years old. And so we let him read this, this portion of scripture, and the kid had a little bit of a hard time reading. So when he read the, the portion of scripture where it says the lady was gathering sticks for her last meal for her and her son so that they could go home and die, when the kid read it, literally, this is what he said. And Bruce Bryan, if you're listening, I know you'll remember this. The boy's reading ever so seriously, trying so hard. He says, and the prophet said, eat sticks and die. <laughs> and then we just burst into laughter. I mean, it was uh, supposed to be a real serious moment. And the kid just got it so, so garbled up. But anyway, Elijah tells her, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't tell her to do this without giving her a promise. Now, I want you to think about something. This was either the most predatory giving gimmick that there has ever been, or it was the the move of the Spirit of God to try to develop trust in the woman and to give confidence to her that the God of Israel is the true God. We, we have a lot of shysters today, folks. We have a lot of these TV, the TV bandits that will tell you, oh, you, you give to God and he'll give you tenfold in return. You give to God, he'll give you a hundredfold in return. They are, they are mercenaries. They, they, they try to bait people with greed. And God never calls upon you and I to give to develop greed in us. We don't give so that we can get from God. God wants us to give so that we learn to be generous as he himself is. And when we learn to be generous, it frees us from the fear of not having enough. This woman, by giving first to God's prophet, was going to learn the lesson that when you put God first, and when you give your all to him first, you and your family will be not just provided for, they will be better provided for. She was eating her last meal. But because she put God and his, his prophet and his word and his work first, not only was she provided one meal, she was provided continual meals for her and her family 
until rain was brought back into the land. So this is a lesson that God wants us to learn too. He kind of wants us to learn. This is, this is important for you to hear because some of you are really feeling this right now. God wants us to learn this lesson of living in scarcity sometimes, but with security. Scarcity, but with security. Listen, Elijah was eating whatever the ravens brought to him for a long time. That's scarcity, but he had the security. God promised his needs would be met. Now, he and this uh, widow, a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil, they're just making some cakes, just enough. It says they had enough. They didn't have abundance. They didn't have the cuisine that they desired that maybe others were eating, but they had enough. They had security that God would provide, but they had to learn to adjust to scarcity. Here's that adaptability. Here's that flexibility. Here's that resilience that trusting in God calls for. And you might ask, well, why? Why does God want us to go through scarcity and perplexity? And, and why does he want us to, why didn't he provide for Elijah in a lavish way? He could have done that. Here's why. God wants you and I as his people to experience everything else that everyone else does so that we stay sensitized to the plight of humanity, that we stay those that have credibility with others that are going through the similar circumstances. More importantly, God never wants to develop in us a mercenary spirit. God will never bribe somebody to be his people. He will not use force. He will not use fear. And he will not use bribery. God reveals himself to people, and then he wants us to authentically like him, want him. He wants to win our trust and our affection and our adoration by revealing his own true self, not by buying us. I hear a lot of messages from preachers these days that, that make me cringe because they, they offer eternal life as a bartering thing. And they urge people, you know, grab eternal life, grab immortality. All you have to do is make some kind of a profession of faith to Jesus. And they're not leading people to the true God as he's revealed himself in Christ. They're leading people to grab a bargain. They're leading people to be mercenaries. And, and it's literally paganistic religion as opposed to authentic relational trust in the true God and creator who's revealed himself in Christ. So God is never going to make it extraordinarily different typically for his people than the circumstances that others are going through because he wants us to stay humble and sensitive, to have credibility with them, and he wants to purify us, not to create a mercenary, selfish spirit in us. He wants us to give because we love God, love people, love what is right and good. So when we look at this portion of scripture, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. And for you and I, God has given us this unique sheltering in place opportunity to learn these exact same lessons. Now, here's the question. Have we been aware? Have we been aware that this is a, a divine opportunity, a divinely given opportunity as we shelter in place to have life altering learning experiences? That's number one. Have we recognized this? Because my fear is, is that some people are so, you know, consumed with just getting through it and getting back to normal that we're not aware this is an extraordinary divine opportunity for life-altering development. That's number one. Then number two, are we in fact embracing the learnings that God offers to us at this time? Maybe, like I said, maybe your streams are starting to dry up. And God is allowing you and allowing me maybe to, 
to develop some patience and develop some perseverance and to develop some audacity in our confidence in God to provide. Maybe God has wanted all of your life and my life to free us completely from insecurity. And the way that he typically cures us of this is by taking us to the place of fragility and helplessness, but still providing, providing for us. That place of scarcity, but with security, where we don't have too much. We have just exactly enough. But when we see that God provides constantly, when everything is drying up about us, that gives us confidence in the normal days so that no matter what change of circumstance has, we're free from our insecurity. We're free from our fear. God is trying in this particular sheltering in place time, I know, to free his people from insecurity to prepare us for things to come. And this time, it's a gift, folks. It's a gift. Now, I hope that Certainly all of you that hear this message, I've said this each week, I believe that you're, excuse me, that you're healthy, first of all, that you are emotionally doing well, but even if you're struggling, it's okay. Draw close to God, seek his face, you will not be disappointed. This will cause you and cause me to go deeper with God. And when we go deeper with God, we find him in his fullness and we discover his fullness is truly more than enough for any circumstance that we're in. So I hope that it's just like Elijah learned these life-altering lessons, you and I will be learning life-altering lessons that will carry us forth uh, to greater and higher things for the kingdom of God, for those that know us, that will be a blessing to everyone that encounters us because of the experiences that we had during this sheltering-in-place experience. Let's pray, folks, and uh, we'll close out. Father, we sometimes are tempted to panic, to complain, to even wonder why you would allow certain things to occur, why you don't do more. Forgive us for these things. Help us to look deeper. Help us to know that life is meant to be a developmental journey where we are meant to learn the truth about you, the truth about life, that we desperately need life-altering lessons. And Lord, you have given us this, this spectacular, life-altering, preparatory, shelter-in-place lesson. May your Spirit now speak to us each so clearly, so personally, that we will seize this opportunity, we will take it in, and we will let it do its work in us that will last, and we will see to be of enduring value I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. FCF Church, I hope this message blesses you and speaks to you and can't wait till we're face-to-face -face again sometime soon. God bless you. Goodbye now.